Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Music Woman Live with your host, Dr. Diva J.C., supported by Women in Jazz South Florida, www.wijsf.org.
This is Dr. Diva JC, and you are listening to Music Women Live, underwritten by Women in Jazz South Florida, a 501cc3 nonprofit organization that promotes women musicians globally. My guest today is a pianist and composer, Sheila Firestone, and you just heard her composition, Miriam the Prophetess. So we're going to bring Sheila in. Hi, Sheila. Hi, Joan. <laughs> that Welcome. Was exciting. Thank you. <laughs> so tell us, um, we, I'm going to let you tell me a little bit more about your music. But right now, I'd like to know, how did you come to music as a child? Uh, my mother used to sing me lullabies, a lot of little Russian folk tunes as well. I think that was probably the roots of it. Okay, and then did you go on to study music? Uh, yeah, barely. I played the piano. I thought very it was glamorous, and uh, but I wasn't disciplined in a way that I would become a serious pianist. However, when I was 45, strangely, I began to hear melodies, and that became a passion. I was working, teaching, and on the weekends I found me a mentor who had just returned from Harvard, uh, Joseph Dylan Ford, and it it became a whole new life. That was my infusion of creativity on the weekends would be to go to Joe's studio and spend a whole afternoon with him and get my melodies down and begin to learn how to develop my ideas. Beautiful. And then how many compositions have you actually composed? Oh, my goodness, hundreds, (laughs) hundreds. Many during the years that I studied with Joe. The seeds for what you just heard happened in Israel. It included a number of trips to Israel because – one of my sons had moved there, and my first two grandchildren were born there. And I used to love to go out onto the hills and listen to the chanting. They were uh, surrounded by Larab villages, and I loved to hear the chanting, and I would be inspired. And when the children were born, I was inspired. And <laughs> it's just being in the right place at the right moment to get excited creatively. And so Miriam the Prophetess is in Hebrew? No. Essentially, it's in Eng- all of the song. It's sung. It's basically an opera, mostly because it's primarily sung. Only the opening, which was also conceived in Israel, uh, has the calling of the names of God, as we use them in Hebrew in a modern way today. And I liken that to a searching for connection with the one. And uh, the piece that you just heard, the Micha Mocha, the last half of the Miriam the Prophetess, is traditionally sung at, during services, and it represents the crossing of the Red Sea and the joyfulness of getting across. Okay, now. So those are the only two Hebrew pieces. The rest is English. Okay. 
actually, you came to my attention through another one of our members, Carol Garrett, when she and I were discussing the, the lack of women cantors. And she said that you are, in fact, a cantor. Is that correct? No, it's not true. I'm not a cantor. I always sang in choirs. Uh, possibly that's also a reason that I began to hear melodies was singing so many melodies in a in a synagogue choir may have helped edge me into when I first started composing, which is another story that happened in the Everglades, which goes with the next piece that you're going to share. <laughs> okay. But you are a member of the Women Cantors Network. Yes, I am. They invite both composers and people who do chanting during services and uh, cantors and composers, anybody who's musically connected with services uh, are invited to participate in that group. And they, too, are a source of inspiration to me. They're very, it's a very loving organization and essentially when they hold their conferences yearly it's it it's um it boosts everybody's energy okay and so what is what i'm trying to get at is are there women cantors in synagogue oh sure many many but is that recent because up until, you know, when did that begin? Oh, okay. Well, the reform movement embraced women. When the, when the reform movement began to really uh, embrace women fully, uh, many women became either, they call them cantorial soloists. They're not fully ordained cantors, but they are people well-trained in music who have the background in Judaism to know the various uh, modes, the specific melodies that are required for a cantor, for chanting. And so, so is your music featured in the synagogue? I don't understand why Carol, real, she referred me to you as a composer in the synagogue. So is your music... Because I write a lot of... I do write a lot of melodies for the synagogue. I have an album called Ancient Blue Threads, which has a number of melodies that I've written for the synagogue. In the various synagogues that I've been a part of, they, from time to time, would do some of these songs. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, they some of them are very congregational some of them are a little more serious more thought provoking and um the collection itself you can hear if you go on youtube you can, and you pull up ancient blue threads in my name you can hear many of these i wrote another michamocha that's on um that album on the ancient blue threads album but it's a totally different melody. So in the synagogue, many uh, people who are not cantors are writing melodies, and that became popular a number of years ago with uh, 
a woman named Debbie Friedman who's since passed on. But her melodies started out in camps and somehow made their way to the pulpit from the camps, from the uh, summer camps. And since then, many people have uh, created melodies that are used in the synagogues as supplements to the services. Okay, and I'm asking this because I don't know if you know that last year, the first woman's opera was performed at the Metropolitan Opera House. Since oh, yes, I was there. <laughs> and so perhaps you could tell us a little bit about that. Well, that was amazing because it was the first time that a full opera by a woman was performed. There was one other performance, and I don't remember the year that goes way back, that a part of an opera was by a woman was performed. But this uh, this woman wrote a remarkable opera, and it was a privilege to watch it and see. I saw it as a tel- uh, a lot, you know they do in this movie theaters, and the sets were remarkable. Her music was quite, I would say, quite modern. Uh, it's difficult enough to get a work into the Met, but to also be a modern composer, uh, it adds another layer of difficulty. It's difficult for women in general. Definitely. And that's why we have this organization, which we're going to change the name to Women in Jazz Global. And of course, you're not a jazz artist, but you're a woman. You know, we focus on women musicians globally. Now, what about performance? Do you ever perform anywhere besides um, the <laughs> That's a lovely question. I prefer not to perform. I get quite nervous because I wasn't really trained for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I choose to focus more on creating the music and then working on getting others to do the performances. Occasionally I will, but... Uh, it takes me away from the time that I would spend writing a new work. The effort that goes into the performance uh, is really quite great. And I have for, I belong to an organization that you are also interested in called the National League of American Pen Women. And for some reason, I'm more comfortable amongst my pen women artist, writer, and composer friends, <laughs> and so I will perform for them occasionally, and I have done that. Okay. But I, if I can get a good pianist to do my work, I would prefer that. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually a closet pianist myself. I've always performed as a vocalist, and very, very, very rarely did I play piano in public. You know, I think it could be our emotions because we're both Sagittarians, and I think Uh, we're perfectionists to a point. So listen, your book is your work is in a book. Is that correct? Your your music. Well, there's a yes, there is a book of the scores for Miriam. There are 34 pieces, and. it it's it goes with the libretto. There's also a little libretto, 
that goes with the work. But I've written um, a lot of curriculum books, when you speak of books, with songs for children that also go with uh, the curriculum. So I enjoy creating stories of a sort. And Miriam is the story, the exodus through the eyes of Miriam and her family relationships. So I, I always tend to lean towards family. Uh, when I'm writing, I'm often inspired by such as things such as grandchildren, <laughs> whom I adore. And a lot of this work grew out of incidents that happened with my grandchildren. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, first of all, uh, uh, next, I would like to welcome you as one of our newer members of Women in Jazz South Florida, and we will do our best to promote you and your music because it's extremely unique. I have the, um, say the name of the album, Ancient. Oh, Ancient Blue Threads. Right. And And you have other CDs, right? Uh, Yes, I have several CDs called Piano Favorites, and those are uh, really my first works. They were just, just, they were piano works that were developed when I was studying with Joe, and he was uh, scrupulously helping me to design each piece and help me to realize where each melody wanted to go. And uh, the river of grass that I don't know if you're going to share some of that today. Yeah. Pieces of the yeah pieces of that were created out of an opera that I had planned to write that I never had time to finish with him because he moved up to Gainesville. He has since uh, become deceased, and I miss him greatly. But we stayed in touch even though he moved to Gainesville. He founded an organization called the Delian Society where many composers from all over the world get together and we created suites together of music based on a theme that was mutually agreeable. And so this, this work, The River of Grass, had nothing to do with the Delian suites, but I had, and the opera that I had conceived for it, but when he moved away... I then uh, started studying with a Dr. Tom McKinley, and we talked about the idea of turning the overture into a rhapsody, and that worked out well. I was very pleased with the outcome of it. I had all the melodies already written, and they had evolved from the moment that I started composing. My very first composition was written after a sunrise walk in a place called Hidden Lake in the Everglades. And that was the first time that I ever heard a unique melody that was my own. As we sat by, I had gone there for training to bring my students camping in the Everglades. And I had done it a number of times, but when the teachers go for training, they experience the same uh, experiences that the children do. So we would walk down to the lake as the sun was rising, given paper, pencil, and some watercolors and a clipboard, 
And as I was sitting there, I jotted down a few words, and then a melody seemed to come from the bushes. So it was a very dramatic beginning. And after that, uh, I started getting melodies constantly. And even though I thought I was going to start on a doctoral dissertation, I didn't. I just started studying music seriously with Joe. Okay. So there you have oh. my whole story. <laughs> so are these uh, pieces being performed by other musicians? Very recently, The River of Grass was performed at a concert in Seattle, Washington. And if you play that, uh, it, it's a group called the Octaver Chamber the Octaver Chamber Orchestra. And that was partially as a memorial to Joe because he passed away just this last year. He was a young man of 65. So, And all of us had written uh, some suites that were performed by various groups throughout the world. Uh, each one of us uh, contributing a small part. But this part of the concert this summer allowed five of us to share works that had some relationship with Joe. And because they had preformed our works before and knew him, they were happy to do this. And there will be another memorial concert, and I've written a new piece called A Walk with Joe, based on his photography for that concert. That's going to come up in a probably in 2018. Okay, and your website is SheilaFirestone.com, so people can go there and listen to some of the music. Is that correct? Yep. Okay. And let me ask you this, because we only have about a minute and a half left before I play River of Grass. What With the Rhapsody. Excuse me? I just said the River of Grass Rhapsody. Okay. It, it, it because of the me, the melding of the melodies. Okay. What advice would you give a young woman coming into the music industry? Uh, the same advice was that was given to me. When you meet somebody that you think you need to study with, ask them. And I have been very blessed with three teachers who I asked to study with, and I continue to study. I'll never stop. And that was Dr. McKinley, Joseph Ford, and now uh, this uh, Dr. Keith Paulson Thorpe, who became my mentor, one of my teachers, uh, who was related to a synagogue where I first came to know Carol Garrett. At that time, he was the accompanist, and he's also a composer. But unfortunately, he's moved away to Mexico, but I'm still going to find ways to uh, share my work with him when I've got new ideas and get feedback from him. That's what I find most valuable in my mentors, is they will say, you know, you're trying to write a certain kind of work, and you're missing this kind of a section where you can elaborate that idea some more. And I really uh, take to heart the advice of fine composers. Okay. So we're at the end of this interview, and I'm going to play River of Grass Rhapsody. And thank you. 
I'll talk to you Thank soon. Thank you for giving me a chance to share. Okay.
You're listening to Music Woman Live with your host, Dr. Diva J.C., supported by Women in Jazz South Florida, www.wijsf.org. 